Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Holy Father, once again we come before you and thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us to ourselves and you have given us clear instructions in your word as to how we should then live. Our problem is not so much not knowing, but not doing what we know. Forgive us for our sins against Thee. Now bless us, we pray, as we continue looking into Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. We left off this morning talking about receiving the Spirit either by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. And we pointed out that this works of the law is one economy or principle. The hearing of faith is another. The works of the law talking about the Old Testament economy. The hearing of faith would be that New Testament economy. And showing, we talked about how that man fell in the Garden of Eden and was unable to to exercise faith because he was born dead in sins. And I want to look at a few passages of Scripture with regard to the depravity of man. Let's just look primarily in Romans chapter 3. We made mention of Romans 3 this morning. But I would like for us to look at a few verses, basically about 10 or 11. And we won't, uh, we'll start at verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? That is, are we Jews better than those than they than the Gentiles? That's what he's talking about here. No, in no wise, for we have before proved, and he did that from Romans one nineteen all the way down through uh, to where we're reading here. No, in no wise, for we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. 
destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. That's what we are outside of Christ. And that's what we are in our nature prior to God bearing us again by His Holy Spirit. So prior to the new birth, man is, according to verse 9 that we read, he is under sin. <clears throat> verse, <coughs> excuse me. Verse 10, there is none righteous. First part of verse 11, there's none that understands the things of God. The last part of verse 11, there is none that seeks after God. In verse 12, all are out of the way, unprofitable, and do no good. From verses 13 through 17, they are corrupt from the head to toe. Verse 18, they do not fear God. In verse 19, they are all guilty before God. So that, that doesn't sound like a man that can exercise faith, does it? He cannot exercise faith. Such a person can hear the gospel 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and he has no faith to exercise, nor can he produce faith. And as we know from Ephesians 2.8, faith is not from man, faith is a gift of God. Scripture says all men have not faith. That's in 2 Thessalonians 3, I believe. It may be 1 Thessalonians 3, or maybe... Two. Let me look that up. Lest... Jumping around there too much. 2 Thessalonians 3... Paul said that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. So if everybody doesn't have faith and faith is a gift of God then those who have faith have it because God gave it not because they brought it up out of their own mind or from their own heart or from their own will. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Also Galatians 5. 22-23 tells us. Therefore. 
one must have the Spirit of God before he can exercise faith. He must have the Spirit of God before he can exercise faith. And to exercise your patience a little bit further, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 14, which we quoted this morning, I think that should be chapter 2, verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14. where we find specifically says that the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. The things of the Spirit of God are foolish to the natural man. The things of the Spirit of God cannot be known by the natural man. So it is obvious to me that in Galatians chapter 3, when it says, This only would I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. He's not talking about receiving the Holy Spirit by the hearing of faith because a man cannot hear if he's natural. He cannot exercise faith if he's a natural man. But if we look at this as we study the whole book of Galatians, and we'll say more about this as we go on, this economy of the Spirit, or this principle of Spirit, we do receive by faith. In other words, after we're born again and we hear the gospel preached, we receive it. That's what he's talking about here. It is obvious that Paul was not talking about the special ministry of the Holy Spirit that took place on the day of Pentecost and later at Cornelius' house or at other times. There must be something under consideration that we believe is consistent throughout the entire epistle. And as I said this morning, I'll say it again. We saw in chapter 2, in considering verse 16, that the law of the principle of faith was talked about as established in Romans 3.27. The doctrine of justification was considered there as it is here in the book of Galatians. Regarding the law or principle of faith, we gave the definition of principle when we studied that 2.16. A fundamental truth, a comprehensive law or doctrine. 
an elementary proposition, a maxim, an axiom, a postulate. And this is how Paul is using this here in Galatians chapter 2. I mean, chapter 3 and verse 2. Now I'm going to give some other examples of this principle that we're talking about. This principle in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6 is called grace. I'll read that. I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. The grace of Christ is talking about this economy of grace. And as we saw in Galatians 2.16, it's faith versus law. Here in Galatians 3.2, it is spirit versus law. In Galatians 3.3, where he talks about it again, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? There is spirit versus flesh. And also in Galatians 5.17, it says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary against the other. There again you see a spirit versus flesh. In Galatians 3.5, we see spirit or faith versus the works of the law. He therefore that ministered unto you the spirit, doeth he it by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith. In other words, he's talking about this economy of the New Testament, or this economy of faith, or this economy of grace, or this economy of spirit. In Galatians 3.11, it's talking about living by faith versus sight or works. And you see the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5.7. In Galatians 3.23, he talks about, but before faith came. See, he's not talking about before we were regenerated, we were kept under the law. Before faith came, we were kept under the law. Shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. In other words, before the New Testament economy came, they were under the law. And we'll see this law and grace. And he brought, brings about the, the fact that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ and so on. Which we'll say more about it as we get to those verses. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, we have the, prince, the, the two sons, the bondwoman and the free woman. There again, he's talking about the Old Testament economy versus the New Testament economy. In Galatians 24, verses, well, let me read uh, 22 and 23. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but of the free woman was by the promise. And then he brings this into the two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. 
which, verse 24, which things are an allegory for these are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above all, is free, which is the mother of us all. So you can see there in those four verses, or 22 through 26, you have the bondwoman versus the free woman. You have the two covenants, the old covenant, the new covenant. And so you can see he's talking about law and grace, works and uh, grace, or grace and works, faith and works, spirit and works, Christ and works, the seed and works, uh, of faith and works. You've got the Old Testament versus the New Testament. That's what he's talking about here when he talks about receiving the Spirit by the, the, the hearing of, of the, by the preaching. And then in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4, there's grace versus law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. What's he talking about falling from grace? You have fallen from this economy of grace. In other words, you've been bewitched. You have fallen, you have turned loose of the gospel and gone back under the law. He's not talking about falling out of salvation. And so you see this whole principle throughout the whole book of Galatians of that same thing. In verses five, chapter 5, verse 11, you have the, the circumcision versus the cross or Christ. And I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. So you, you have two economies there. Circumcision, the Old Testament. The cross, the New Testament. You have two principles, two dispensations, two economies. And then lastly in Galatians 6, verse 14, Paul talks about the cross. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't talking about that wooden object that's often sung about in the old rugged cross. I don't particularly care for that because it focuses on the wooden object, not so much on the the Christ or the New Testament economy. So you can see all the way from Galatians 1 through Galatians 6, this idea of two different economies, two different principles, two different laws, either grace and works, uh, faith and works, Spirit and works, Christ and works. And so you can see that whole concept all through the book of Galatians. And so when he says, receive ye the Spirit, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit in regeneration. He's talking about this economy of grace, this New Testament. 
And so after Paul spoke of these two laws or these two principles in Romans 3.27, he introduced by divine inspiration Abraham in Genesis 15.3. Saw that in Romans 4.3. And God by Paul is doing the same thing in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6. First of all, let's turn back to Romans 3. Romans 3.27. I'm going to show this contrast. Romans 3.27. Where is boasting then? It is, it, it is excluded. By what law? Of works, nay, the law of faith. And then drop down to Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now in Galatians chapter 3, we see this same principle. He talks about receiving the Spirit by the hearing of faith. And then in Galatians 3.6, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So you see, in both places, after it talks about this principle of law and works, here we see in the first part of Galatians, he's talking about the principle of spirit and works. He follows up with Genesis 15.6. In Romans 4.3, he follows up with Genesis 15.6. Here in Galatians 3.6. In other words, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's a quote from Genesis 15.6. So you can see the the parallelism that is found in Romans and in Galatians. Now we need to look at Genesis 15.6 a little bit because most Bible commentators and theologians Maintain that Genesis 15.6 is when Abraham believed and got saved. And in doing so, in teaching that, they are bewitching people. And I'm going to try to prove that. I believe that we can do that. I want to read Genesis 15.6 again. In fact, I'll just start at verse 1 of Genesis 15. After these things, the word of God came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? 
And this steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. In other words, Abraham had picked up a, a slave in Damascus. His name was Eliezer. He was a good man. Evidently a good slave. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Could be that Eliezer was born in Damascus. But, this, but the Lord said to Abraham, This shall not be thine heir, that is, Eliezer shall not. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he, that is God, brought him, that is Abraham, forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And as we've already read in Genesis, uh, excuse, uh, in Galatians, uh, chapter 3 and verse 16, the seed was Christ. So shall thy seed be. And he that is Abraham believed in the Lord, and he that is God counted it the seed to him for righteousness, not Abraham's faith. But most people say that Abraham believed God and God gave him faith. Or Abraham exercised faith and then that's when God justified him and made him a child of grace. That's what most people say. That is, that's what most, uh, well, many Armenians say that. And many grace preachers, so-called grace preachers, say the same thing. But there's one problem with that. Years before this in Genesis 15, Abraham had faith. In Hebrews 11 and verse 8, talking about Abraham, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. Abraham was in Ur of the Chaldees. Down here. Then he went up to Haran, up here. He went down through Damascus and so on. And in so we don't know how old Abraham was when he left Ur of the Chaldees. But we do know in Genesis 12 Abraham was 75. Genesis 12 starting verse 1 
Well, first of all, if we had time, we would go back up in verse 11 and we see that Terah and Nahor and Abraham uh, were in Haran or Charon uh, back in verse uh, chapter 11. But now, verse chapter 12, Now the Lord God had said unto Abraham, Many Arminians or many commentators will leave the had out. When did God say that to Abraham? Back when he was in Ur. Get thee out. Get uh, get thee uh, uh, unto Abraham. Get thee out of thy country and from the kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. The little word had in verse in chapter one, 12, verse 1, is extremely important. Many people overlook it. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. Make thy name great, and thou shalt be a great, a, uh, shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed. Departed where? Out of Haran. Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother-in-law, so on, so on, and so forth. But my point is, we don't know how old Abraham was when he left Ur. He goes up the Euphrates River to a place called Haran. And then when he was 75, he leaves Haran. After he leaves Haran, he goes down into Egypt. He comes back out of Egypt. Goes back to Bethel. And several other things take place in the life of Abraham. And then when you come down to Genesis Chapter 15, well, let me say this. After leaving Haran into the land of Canaan, the Lord appeared to him again and he built an altar and worshipped God. That's in at Bethel. He went into Egypt during the famine and then returned to Bethel and worshipped God at the same altar. That's in Genesis 12, verse 9 through chapter 13. Verse 4. So here you see Abraham, he left Ur. He had faith when he left Ur. He had faith when he left Haran. And he went, goes to Bethel and builds an altar and worships God. He goes into Egypt. Sorry, scoundrel denies his wife, but uh, the thing about it is, here's a man that had faith. He goes back to Bethel. He builds another altar unto God. Then he and Lot separate. And you remember after he and Lot separated and before the destruction of Sodom that uh, the Lord appeared at Abraham in the plains of memory. And when he was sitting in the tent, you'll see that. Uh, well, look at Genesis 13. 
Genesis 13, verse 17. Here, God reaffirms His covenant with Abraham. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Does this sound like a man that doesn't have faith? Then Abraham went to Hebron and built another altar unto the Lord. Verse 18. Genesis thirteen eighteen. Then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plains of Mamre, which is in Hebron, or Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. And after a period of time, Lot was taken captive, and Abraham went and rescued him. You'll see that in the first 16 verses of the 14th chapter. And then in chapter 7, verse 17 of of Genesis 14, we see that Melchizedek, the priest of God, blessed Abraham. Let's read 17, start, starting there. Uh, Genesis 14, 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shavan, uh, Sheva, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed, and blessed be, blessed be the Most High God, and so on and so forth. And so you can see that all of this time, Abraham is a worshiper of God. A man that exercised faith. A man that left Ur the Chaldee. And he left by faith. And so when it comes down to Genesis 15, it is obvious that that's not when Abraham first exercised faith. And it should be obvious that it was not the faith of Abraham that made him righteous. Nor did God account him to be righteous on Abraham's faith. God made it clear in Romans and many other places that it is the righteousness of God that justifies and makes one accepted in the Beloved. Let's read Romans 3, 21, 22, and 26. We could read many others. Romans 3, 21. Now the righteousness of God without, that is apart from the law, is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness which is of God, of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference. Verse 26, I'm skipping for time's sake. 
to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, it is true that the believer is justified, but he's not justified because he's a believer, or because he believed, I mean. His belief is only an evidence of his justification. And like I said, when it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, the it refers to the seed. And if that's not clear enough, look in Isaiah chapter 45. I just want to give a couple of here, a couple in the Old Testament, show that the Old Testament is teaching the same as the New. Isaiah chapter 45, picking up at verse 24. Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come. And all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. How is it that we're justified? In the Lord. Not in our faith. In the Lord. In the Lord. Isaiah 54. Verse 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. Now notice this. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness. Their righteousness is of me. Not their faith. Their righteousness is of me saith the Lord. So you see that this truth is set forth in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Yes, he who genuinely believes is accounted righteous. Romans 3.22 tells us that. He who if you genuinely believe, you are counted righteous. And it is equally true that by faith, one receives the benefits of that righteousness in his heart and soul. In other words, when a man believes, that's when, it, that's when the justification is made real to him, experimentally. Not real to God. It was real to God when in Christ. And while it often appears that both to be one and the same or one and it happens simultaneously, in other words, it may be that sometime God would 
regenerate a man and cause him to believe the gospel uh, all at the same time. But the regeneration is by the Holy Spirit and the revealing of the righteousness of God is to him is also by the Holy Spirit, but it's also because the man believed. It, that both works together there. But the new birth is by the Holy Spirit alone. So it may appear that one that it happens simultaneously. It is, a, it is essential that we make a distinction and that it is clear so that God gives, gets all the glory and the honor that is justly due to Him. And this truth will be further clarified as we go throughout the book of Galatians. And it is further clarified in Romans where Paul goes to great length to show that this happened to Abraham prior to circumcision and prior to the giving of the law, prior to the Old Testament covenant as it's called that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. And that it was according to the law of faith, not according to the law of works. According to the law of the Spirit, not of the law of works. According to the law of grace, and not of works. And so we shall see this as we continue to go throughout the book of Galatians. Well, we've really covered these first six verses, and we'll stop here before going into verse 7, Lord willing, next time. I hope I haven't confused you too much, and that I've made it abundantly clear that this Spirit here receiving the Spirit is receiving the economy of the Spirit or the preaching of the New Testament economy or the law of the Spirit. There's a difference and, 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 and that it is God that quickens a dead man that makes him alive so that he can believe. Let's pray. I know, my God, that what we've taught today is counter to what a lot have preached regarding these subjects. But I verily believe that it is essential that we keep this distinction while we stress the importance of believing the distinction must be made because man is so sinful that it's easy for us to think that you, we are given something because of what we've done 
And therefore, if somebody else would just do what we've done, they'd be better off. We're only what we are by your grace. And without your grace, we're nothing. Only fuel fit for hell. And we want you to receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And it is in Christ we pray. Amen.